The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual guests. You're a sensitive snowflake that may get easily offended and turn this off immediately. If you want to hear the real truth about the gun culture, then stick around. This is the Armed Citizen Podcast. What is going on, my ghost squad? Welcome to the Armed Citizen Podcast Live. This is episode number 206. Today is Tuesday. I believe it's August 31st, 2021. We are live as always on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of those crazy platforms. If you're out there live, go ahead and say something. We don't know that you're out there unless you do. If you want to call in, yes, yes, you can call in or text into the show. Go ahead and utilize the Ghost Tactical Hotline presented by our good friends Rod and Shelly Gates over at Aegis Gun Care. That phone number is 530-364-4678. If you're out there and you're a veteran, anyone really, but especially if you're a veteran and you're in that hole and you, you're struggling to find the light in hell, you're questioning if there is light still out there, please call me, text me, email me 24-7. I cannot give you any medical help at all, but I sure as hell can be a, probably a pretty good ear if you are looking for someone that can help you. We're going to have some friends on tonight that can definitely help you, but remember two things. One, you are not alone. You have a bro- lot of brothers and sisters out there that are willing to help, and two, the world is a much better place with you in it. So please, please, please utilize the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Once again, one 800 273-8255 and press one if you're a veteran the veteran crisis hotline we are spotlighting as always united states marine corps if you have any questions on what it takes to become and earn the title of united states marine visit the website marines.com and as always we are a proud member of the self-defense radio network it's a great place for like-minded pro-gun pro-2a pro-freedom podcast all in one place a lot of your favorite podcasts are already over there. So please check out selfdefenseradio.net. Let's get this off of my ugly mug and bring in some of our cohorts. We've got one that's on his way, but uh, from the great state of Texas, our quasi co-host for this shindig, uh, he's going down with the ship with this, no matter what he says from the great state of Texas, the tactical virus, I mean, uh, leprechaun himself. Speaking of viruses, how you doing there, buddy? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> call me Clover Tack 19, I guess, at this point, right? Clover 19, that's right, yeah. Not not confirmed, but uh, definitely definitely having some uh, some issues, aren't you? Uh, uh, the only reason I think it's not confirmed is I just haven't gotten a test. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> at this point, I think that's the only reason, man. And I don't think there is a reason with uh, circumstances and let's just say, I don't want to give away all my personal life, but circumstances mm-hmm. and other things. It's not really any reason to get one because it's pretty obvious. No, it is pretty obvious, yeah. Um, before we say hello to our friends, I do want to send a shout out. Mandatory carry out there. This is a $6 super chat. It says, early in case I can't make it home in time, keep fighting. Ghost Fix said she tune in. Appreciate you, brother. 
we do not ask for, no, do we encourage Super Chats, but just know that every dollar you guys spend on Super Chats go to our brothers and sisters downrange uh, overseas, our troops over there. So uh, before we go, I do want to send a heartfelt uh, message out to the families and friends of 11 Marines, one sailor and one soldier that were needlessly and senselessly murdered in Kabul last week. Anyone and everyone that spent time over in Afghanistan, please remember um, all of your efforts have not gone forgotten by the American public. Thank you for keeping us safe. And uh, we wish you the best. Everyone that has been over there and is questioning um, that you were doing the right thing. You were pointed and you went, no questions asked. But um, circumstances have changed. And I don't want anyone over there that's still over there or just gotten back or spent time over there to ever think that you were, um, you've been forgotten. So uh, quick shout out to the families and friends of the um, victims of political murder that happened in Afghanistan last week. So that being said, let's try to bring it back on some of a, of a, a happier note. We've got two friends of ours that uh, have been doing. We talked earlier about the veteran crisis hotline, and we do that every week, and, and we hope people are out there utilizing it. And it's not just for veterans. It's the suicide awareness hotline, uh, but you press one, it's for veterans. But two guys that have been uh, doing a lot of work, um, in the well, for a lot of their adult lives, for sure, and, and bringing a lot of awareness to the mental health side, especially to the firearm side. So from Wonk the Talk America, a good friend, Michael Sedini. What's going on, Mike? How you doing? I'm good, uh, you're man. Muted. Thanks for, thanks for having go. me here today. It's been a while. It's been a while. You've been a busy, busy man as always, doing a lot of good stuff. So uh, it's good to have you back on. And um, our other homie, he's with Walk the Talk America. He's also with Zephyr Wellness, uh, the man who is the golden child right now. And look at him. He's all clean cut. He looks all nice. He even did his hair. Holy cow. Uh, we've got Jake with Gershon. What's going on, Jake? Hey buddy, uh, I uh, I actually have scruff and uh, I have to comb my hair. You cannot roll out of bed looking like this. No, I have to comb my hair because it hides the gray. Um, um, no, well, I, I just say the hell with them. I just I said the hell with them. Just roll them with it. I don't care anymore. You know, no, we all can't look like you know Mike. You know, Mister. You know, supermodel over here and swimsuit model. Model. Yeah. Or was it was it Bugle yeah. Boy? Let's be real. Was it Bugle Boy? Don't lie. Don't lie. Forever forty one. Forever forty one. New fall fashions. Oh Lord. Well, I want to kind of jump in, and I know you guys have been doing uh, separately, but also together, been doing some amazing work. And we're talking about mental health and firearms. And, and this is a subject that we all, the four of us in this room, talk about a lot, and we're, we're trying to get involved in a lot of things. But it is kind of like the redhead stepchild that no one wants to really bring up in the firearms industry because of statistics and because of the stigmas and all of that. And I know it's um, it's been a long, hard role for Walk the Talk, but I know you guys have made a lot of great progress. I want to bring Mike in first and kind of for people that have been living under a rock for some reason and haven't heard of Walk the Talk. Can you kind of tell us real quick where it started, the idea, and kind of where it has evolved to in the last few years? Oh, man. <laughs> we don't got enough time. <laughs> but yeah, you started in 2018 off a chance meeting with someone asking just a, a you know, very deep question. In my opinion, it was just like, hey, if everybody blames the firearms industry um, after there is a mass shooting and you guys say it's a mental health issue, 
how does the mental health community and the firearms industry work together to find solutions? And there was no solutions. So I started this organization without really having a clear direction of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do something. Um, and it's just evolved over the last three years to what it is now. And I guess the short answer to what it is now is regardless of how you feel about firearms. And I think everybody listening around here is uh, just, just like myself is pro 2A. Um, but even if you're, you know, on the fence about firearms or maybe even anti-firearm, this is an organization where you could say, I like these guys because they're actually doing something. You know, when, when you see tragedy and everyone always says, somebody, we need to do something and, and nobody knows what that something is, well, we're that something. Right? We're the alternative to legislation and absolutely doing nothing, right? So we're in the middle there. So that's what Walk Talk America is. We do our best to, to get people the help they need when they're in a time of crisis without fear of consequence. Um, and uh, we educate. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. I remember a few years ago when we first met and uh, we were having a discussion and something you said back then has stuck with me this whole time because I think it's a wonderful thing. You said, you know, people every here day talk about the cold, the, the average everyday cold or putting a seatbelt on. People talk about that and it's just everyday talk and no one thinks about it. And your goal at one point was we should be able to talk about mental health and mental illness in our own community as if we were talking about a common cold, not putting it down, but saying we should be, I, I don't know how we use that thing, we should be... Um, okay with it enough to say hey we don't have to avoid this topic it's it, it's part of who we are as a society and then we'll be able to talk about it without feeling nervous and i think that uh with you and jake and, and the rest of the board members of walk the talk you got pinkus and you've got uh collins you got a bunch of great people i think maybe it's katie now part of it i think i'm not sure but uh there's a lot of great people that are involved with walk the talk america that even though they're not maybe officially involved they, that do push it and i think that you guys have made um, a lot of strides and I, I I don't know if you guys feel it from your side but I remember where you were three years ago to now it, it has you have definitely made the ripple in the pond if you will um let's bring in our other don't, don't, don't discredit does credit what you and, and clover have done for us as well you know I feel like you yeah, guys I think are you have a lot of people that believe in what you're doing and, and I think that that's where the, that's where it comes it's easy to get behind something that you see that you believe in yourself uh, you know people that have fought through it, and more importantly, you see the passion that you and you guys um, bring to the table. And and you're saying, you know, we're gonna, we're not just going to knock on the door, and if they don't answer, we're going to walk away. We're going to kick the door open, and make you listen to us. And sometimes it sounds bad, but sometimes that's exactly how you have to play it. There are people that don't want to hear, they don't want to listen, they don't want to have the conversation. But after they do, they're like, you know what? Why haven't we been having this conversation for a lot longer? Um, so it, the stigma is still out there. We have a long way to go, but thanks to you, um, it, it's definitely, at least in our community, in our industry, it's getting better. Um, the next guy we're going to bring in is Jake. And Jake is a, is a part of Walk the Talk America, but he's also a certified counselor with Zephyr Wellness. And he's been, he's been fighting the fight, not just in the firearm ministry, but in life in general for a long time. So Jake, I want to bring you in. And, and let people know uh, your background and how you maybe have gotten involved with Walk the Talk and with Sedini. Uh, thanks, Trey. Uh, first of all, I apologize for being a little late. I uh, had central time in my head because that's where you live. And I didn't, I'm not uh, on the ball. Um, I'm thank not you for... Trey on the box either, so it's all good. 
Uh, if Mike hadn't texted me, like I'd be like, what, what, what do you mean? I've been an hour late. Um, I really appreciate it, trade. Um, so brief history. I'm not, I'm not big into verbal resumes, but, um, uh, you know, people need to know background. So I'm a marriage and family therapist by trade and I'm licensed here in Nevada and it is Nevada for those of you who are in the East coast, not Nevada. There's no H there's no W it's Nevada. Um, I, own a company called Zephyr Wellness. We do outpatient counseling. We've got a couple of locations here in Northern Nevada uh, in the Reno Sparks area where, where I live. That's also not near Vegas. Mike's in Vegas. It's about a six and a half hour drive. And we do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats in my community, but specific to this conversation, I've been a lifelong gun owner. I was never part of the culture until I joined up with Mike and WTTA. Uh, but I was raising a family full of cops. I do have an, uh, an uncle who killed himself by firearm back in 1985. I was seven years old. And so I'm, I'm impacted by this. But I have a good friend who I've known since my early college days, who's uh, the general manager of a local range and retail store here called Reno Guns and Range. His name is Jordan Slotnick and his mom owns it. And they're they're the premier place to go around here. And he and I have been talking for a long time about how we, we intersect these two professions. And then one day he texts me, this is early 2019. He says, Hey, have you heard of Walk the Talk America? I said, no. So I, I looked up them and I put them in air quotes because now everybody knows it was a you know one man show with Mike smart. running it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I emailed them and they wrote back immediately. And why I was emailing them was because I had a podcast, and I, I still do, called Noggin Notes as a mental health podcast to try to get unique and diverse guests. And I thought, what a cool guest this would be on the podcast. So Mike, you know, obliged and we started talking and podcast went for about an hour and a half. And then we talked for another couple hours after that and after that couple hours were BFFs and I realized I was in a position where I could make some real actual change because I I'd been on the fence about you know where to go with this thing being a, a lifelong gun owner and a concealed carry permit holder in Nevada I was closeted and I after kicking it around a little bit I realized I, I couldn't straddle the issue I had to I had to come out of the closet more or less as a gun owning clinician and there's some risk involved with that. And that's some of the stigma is that our own, my own profession, our own people for as non-judgmental as we, we like to advertise ourselves to be are not sometimes. And uh, one of the judgments we have is against gun owners. And I immediately started down the path of researching what this was and how it looks. And, and I happened to also be chairing my licensing board at the time. So for those of you who don't know, if you're in a any sort of profession that you know gets needs a blessing from the state to to do what you do, whether it's in contracting, construction, you know, psychotherapy, medicine, haircutting, you need a you need a credential usually so that the state can reasonably certify to the public that you're uh, uh, possess the bare minimum competence to perform. So, um, as comforting as that is to everybody, we we like to achieve a little more than bare minimum. But I was chairing this licensing board, and that put me in touch with a lot of different colleagues across different professional stripes, so social workers and psychologists, drug alcohol counselors, that kind of thing. And I realized that there's an opportunity here to teach clinicians about firearms culture, and we could get continuing education credit for that. So when you renew your license, you need these number of hours of continuing education. And uh, what's often emphasized is cultural competence. I thought, what a great idea. We could teach cultural competence of firearms community so that we destigmatize this for the clinicians because, and this is important, in 2017, the Pew Research uh, Group did a poll uh, survey and they found that about 42% of Americans either own a firearm or live with somebody who does. 
And I thought, wow, that's half of America. That is half of our clientele. And I think we need to not be ignorant uh, with these folks. And when we're talking about suicidal ideation, particularly with youth uh, who may have access to guns that aren't stored responsibly, uh, we need to be competent in our language and our vocabulary when we work with firearms owning patients. So we set out to do that. But then along the way, I thought, wait a minute, there's two sides of this. As I started getting integrated in the gun culture, uh, like I said, I wasn't a part of the culture until I met these guys. I started going to some shows and, and so forth. And down in Arizona, I got to meet, you know, Katie and, and Argo and, and uh, Pincus for the first time and, and a bunch of other people that were just supremely impactful in my life and have been ever since. And I realized we have to do the other side of that coin. So training clinicians to be competent with firearms owners is met on the other side of that coin with teaching firearms owners not to be afraid of counseling. Uh, I think I realized that there was a, a barrier to care that looked something along the lines of suspicion and uh, uncertainty, thinking that we we're going to just pick up a bat phone to the government and tattle on you or call CPS if you're out shooting with your kids and you have anxiety or whatever. And that's just simply not true. And I realized I had to to carry that forward and and, and really demystify what counseling is for people. So we invite them in to, to get treated, get the help they need to so they don't go diving into pill bottles or booze bottles or wreck their marriages or, you know, maximum take their own lives. So that's kind of how I came into this. I was, you know, I started offering some curriculum and then I realized that, you know, I have a, I have a strong role to play. So, you know, get long winded on this, but nobody's really interested in that. I don't think. Well, that's why you're here is, is I think that uh, you guys are on the front line of, and this is an incredibly important battle um, for the gun industry because we, and both of you brought it up. As soon as there is a mass murder out there, What's the first thing that our side does when they start pulling up statistics? Oh, well, half of those are suicide. And they just discard that as if that doesn't mean anything. Well, we can just take this number because they're just suicides. And and, and if anyone's been around someone or had in their, in their family or life that has committed suicide, you don't just discard that. You don't just say, well, it's just a number. And I think that that is a problem that our, you know, I get why our community and our industry does that because we want to minimize the effect of those numbers. But you're, you're minimizing lives as well. So I think it's great. Real quick, uh, G-Webs brought up a question out there. Uh, he says, are the WTTA guys aware of working with Brooke Cheney from a great start shooting school uh, who does a suicide prevention Saturday video series? Yeah, we just had Brooke on our podcast. Um, plug for the podcast. It's called Suppressed Surprise yes. Mental Health. And um, we, we had Brooke on a while back. She's awesome absolutely love her and the DC project and all her colleagues. Uh, we are huge fans and we do correspond frequently with her. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, I want to bring you back before we go, uh, Clover, do you have anything you want to bring in or ask before we move on to the next subject? I was going to talk about, you know, when Mike was talking earlier, uh, kind of talking about the early days and getting started, it's, it's interesting and it's fun to, to look back now, because since that time, I mean, over the last, I mean, especially with last year and all the lockdowns, that created a lot of situations for a lot of people, obviously, um, from losing their jobs to, you know, their businesses to just being cooped up at home with the kids for months and months on end for some people, right? Um, a lot of mental strain and, and stuff for a lot of different people. Luckily, I, my kids are grown out of the house. I didn't have that to worry about. Uh, financially, I don't really have 
you know, things of that nature to worry about. Um, so I'm blessed in that sense and, and, you know, didn't have those issues. Um, but what was interesting is seeing the amount of people that I heard that utilized Walk the Talk America and services from the website and other things, right? Because it's one of the things where you talk about it, you guys kicked it off, we talked about it, we, we've started the ball rolling, we continue the conversation, we do all of these things. And it's really cool when, don't get me wrong, it, it's, it's nice when you can directly help somebody that you see that's in trouble and you tell them to go there. But it's even cooler when somebody tells you that they utilize that service and you're like, really? You're like, and they're like, yeah, you know who I'm talking about? I'm like, I absolutely know who you're talking about. I said, like, I've known them since like day one, right? And so it's just, it's really cool to see how far the organization is coming that way to where you don't have to actively seek that out, right? You don't have to actively seek out those testimonials. You, you hear them everywhere now. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It, it has been fun to watch where this has gone and seeing the impact. Um, one of the really cool things about it, you know, because it's like sometimes I feel like we're in our, our own echo chamber in the 2A bubble and we get love from the 2A no matter what, right? Like people, as soon as they figure out that we're not there to take guns and we're looking for these alternative solutions, everyone always comes comes around. But what's cool is the effect that we've had on on everyone outside of the firearms community. Um, you know, Jake and I are going to be doing some consulting work up in Oregon. Like that's one state I would have never believed that would have bought into yeah. what we're doing. Right. And, and we're, they're flying us up there and we're going to, we're going to go put in some work and, and help them and train some trainers and that type of deal. But it's, it's really cool when you see it in these other organizations, we're also going to be going to San Jose state university and speaking in front of a veteran group, but also in front of students demand action. Right. Um, so we're not afraid to go talk to anybody, uh, we'll, you know, because I think what we're doing is so unique. And, you know, Clover, back to your point, like, you know, when you first start the organization or when the organization, when you guys had me on in your shows, every one of you had me on one of your shows in the beginning. And it's funny because I look back at it now and I realize like there really wasn't an organization. It was more of an idea. Right. And, and right. it's kind of formed itself into now what it is. So it's it's very interesting to, to see where it's gone. Um when I was reading in some of the comments here, I just kind of want to make the point that, you know, when there's no drama, when there's no mass shooting, um, there still is a mass shooting every day, right? The number that we lose in suicide to firearm is, is more than any mass shooting you can imagine. Um, so Jake and I live with a mass shooting every day. That's what really what drives us. We never forget about suicide by firearm. Um, that's really the world we live in. Um, and I think we need to do a better job of 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 kind of shining light on that because we don't need to use that number just as a you know defense in 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 any kind of situation where people are trying to you know demonize us after a mass shooting. Um, we need to get that number down, period, so we can be left the hell alone, you know. And they need to yeah. see that we're working on it. And I think that when other organizations or people out there that are, you know on the left or or maybe anti-gun or gun neutral when they see that the firearms industry itself is coming forward and presenting these solutions saying look we can't give you legislation but we can you know put this flyer in the box that helps people you know take free and anonymous mental health screenings such as like arms Corps does um, i know they're coming out with their ammo and they have the the screening on the side of the box like these are all first steps to kind of cut people off and saying we're taking care of it ourselves 
I yeah, guess. I'll jump in real quick too. What Mike's talking about is a cultural change, and what, you know, coming in sort of as an outsider, not being part of the the the, the tight knit community that the the two A culture has been. I am seeing this um, slow warming to the to the presentation. We're doing we're offering practical things like changing language. Uh, when you bring up safety, for example, to gun owners, they go, yeah, I'm safe. I got guns everywhere. It's like, yeah, but are you storing them responsibly? Right. And so we're inviting a language change away from safe storage to responsible storage. And the definition of responsible is preventing unauthorized access. And that unauthorized access doesn't always mean time of crisis. It means your toddler poking through the couch cushions to find your, you know, chambered pistol underneath the, you know, the, the pillow or whatever. It's like practice this is something that Mike says all the time. He says practice unlocking your quick access safe as often or more often than you do putting lead on target downrange. And I think that's brilliant. It's a very practical, easily implementable strategy that we can get out so that the culture starts changing. It doesn't have to be this big invitation to professional psychotherapy. In fact, I, I'm trying to work to I'm trying to work myself out of a job, but I'm trying to keep people out of my clinical office. I'm trying to keep people out of the agency and, you know, giving them tools and resources. And I'm trying to teach people the same stuff I learned in graduate school so that they monitor their own emotional functioning and they know when they're getting a little out of balance and they can bring themselves back in. Not everybody needs to level up to walking into the counseling agency and filling out the paperwork and billing insurance and all that stuff. A lot of the stuff you can do on your own. I mean, somehow our humanity got here over the last 40,000 years of its current iteration. Uh, and my only profession, my profession has only been around for about a hundred years of that, you know, 120 years, maybe. So like, you know, we need, we need to check our own egos at the door and say, you know, what can we do to, to get people well and healthy? Um, I got a particular soapbox just because living in Nevada, we're, we're dead last in behavioral health in the country. And we have been for many, many years and I'm embarrassed. Uh, I'm a fifth generation Nevada and I'm proud of my state. I love, I love everything about it except we lead in all the categories you don't want to suck at. And that's one of them. So I'm trying to like, you know, if my kids don't get bullied on the playground, I don't have to watch couples arguing in the aisles of the grocery store, then I'm living in a healthy community. I don't have to do this for a living. I'll, I'll go throw up drywall or I'll, you know, pick up trash or, you know, any number of things that generate an income to pay my rent. So um, I, I, my mission is, is, Long term, I want I want to set my sights on twenty years, not not two. I don't want to I don't want to do this just so I can say that, you know, we we got some people some screenings like those don't do any good if you don't take action. So the practical elementary steps that we're inviting people to do is I think really important. Yeah, there there is a question out there by Gunpowder. I'm going to bring because it also talks about some of that uh, that we're all involved in. Uh, you know, I was I was honored to be brought into a. a a task force, if you will, uh, a year or two ago with Mike and Jake with the Veterans Association, the Veteran Affairs uh, Administration, and, and and a lot of people, especially that are veterans, the VA is a, is a four-letter word. It's a nasty, nasty word. Uh, but these guys aren't just doing work with firearms. They're doing work with anyone that they can help. Uh, I know that Mike's gone to the White House and spoken with them about mental illness and mental health. It's not just about firearms. They have uh, basically taken their whole lives right now and focusing on trying to get the mental health awareness of America out there. But Gunpowder Beauty out there says, with the chaos that's happening right now, the struggle of a lot of military members are going through what options are available to help these difficult times. There's a lot of options out there. But just let me tell you this right now. Uh, if you know a veteran out there 
um, or even someone that's that's still active duty um, that's going through problems. The problem, the biggest problem that I see, and I want to have Mike and and Jake jump in as well uh, from what their experiences are. But my experiences, which even just, just trying to get them to talk about mental health, is we're very proud, very ego driven, very tough-minded people that don't want to admit that there's a weakness in our mind and we've all been through it whether you're a veteran or not everyone goes through times when we're just we go through hell at some points of our lives i think the biggest thing that most people need to do which is the hardest step is to say i need help and if you could get someone to say i need help or acknowledge the fact that they need help then they just open themselves up to a whole new world of, of help and, and friends and, and getting better because uh, I think a lot of people real don't realize that this, and this is going to be a long run out, sorry, uh, but gunpowder, a lot of people that are in veterans' shoes, if you've gone down range, we're going through a same routine. We wake up, we PT, we eat, we go on patrol, we come back, we work out, we eat, we PT, go to bed, wake up, and it's every day for three weeks to nine months, whatever it is that you're over there, it's the same thing. So in, in theory, our time freezes, okay? Everything we're doing, it's just the same routine. We Why do we do routines? Because it's the way for us to mentally stay sharp and to not and to forget the bullshit that we're going through. So we create these routines to keep it safe for us, to keep us normal for us, some reason for us to keep going on. What they don't realize, what veterans don't realize, when you go home, Time's been frozen for that nine months or a year or however long you're downrange. Time did not freeze for your family, your friends, your loved ones, society back home. They have kids, they have jobs, they have they had to do everything that that they were doing before you left, and it's now even harder because you were gone, but their time doesn't stand still. And they want to find out what exactly went on with you while you were gone. And you're saying, I don't want to talk about it for you. You're trying to protect them. I get that. But I promise you, the only way that you're truly going to get better is by letting your loved ones in. They have to understand where you're coming from. They have to know what you went through so that they can be there for you. So for me, Gunpowder B, I'd say for veterans, the first step they have to take is to say, I can't do this by myself and I, I need someone to talk to. Uh, so I want to bring in Jake and Mike and say, you know, with your time working and obviously our industry, just alone, our industry is filled with a lot of veterans, but just in life in general, you guys have talked to a lot of veteran associations, probably worked with some, you know, what would you say? Um, what are some of the options possibly for veterans out there that may not know that there's help? So I see that uh, Clover's weighing in. He wants to address it. So I want to mm -hmm. de defer to him, and then I, I no, I'll pick that up. That's a that's a different that's a different subject than the veteran. Yeah, thing. go ahead. Never mind. Yeah, this is gonna, this <laughs> is going to be in for the next one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm going to drop this into our little private chat there. You can send that link out if you want. Uh, Trey. Absolutely. Um, the way I hit this is it, it is hard. It's hard for dudes. Um, and I say this every time I teach, I teach emotional functioning all over the place, all different groups and uh, demographics and professions. And I think that the way in through acknowledging or to acknowledging that you're struggling is to start with knowing how your, your brain operates. So uh, that, that link there, I'll take you to a series of videos that I did on, on what emotions are, how they work. 
and understanding co the difference between cognition, which is your thinking, your reason, your logic, and emotion, which is your limbic system. I'm pointing here because that's where your your limbic system is, and your brain's kind of in the middle of the rear section. And and when when I teach this stuff, what it does is it it educates, right? It it says, hey, this is this is actually going on. It's it's neuroscience. It's it's a necessary physiological function that your body's telling you to attend to. And when I teach it to to dudes, like they get it. Like they go, oh, okay. So I don't have to be embarrassed by these feelings that I'm having. And, you know, there's this old trope about, you know, I'm going to go to the counselor and talk about my feelings. And, and it's like, well, yeah, because it has a neurological basis and, and needing to navigate the environment. So that's one great way to do it is just become self-aware of what your, your body's trying to tell you. And the, the other thing that I say specifically to veterans, and I, I ripped this off from my clinical director, Jesse, who had a, a patient one time who, who is a veteran. And he said, uh, he got the same uh, instruction from Jesse. Jesse taught this to him. He goes, you know, I realized that if we're on a ruck and I turn my ankle and I don't tell anybody, I become a liability to the entire uh, group that I'm, I'm walking with. And he says, I, I have to do the same thing with my own mental needs, my own psychological well-being, my own uh, emotional fitness, if you will. So for him, that was a light bulb moment. And it was a direct analogy to something practical that he he had experienced. And we would say the same thing. Like if you're if you're struggling, you know, you're struggling, you're a little bit off, you're oversleeping, you're drinking too much, you're, you're undersleeping, you're not eating well, um, attend to it. Because before you know it, you will become a liability either to your family, your spouse, your, your employer, uh, to your employees, if you're an employer, and your manager. So it's not, it's not just about sucking it up and pushing it down. And one of the things I talk about regularly is you end up, it's, it's not just some woo woo thing that goes on. Those, those neurochemicals that pump from your brain, they have to go somewhere. And if you don't dispense of them in an appropriate way, one of those ways is discussion, you know, active talk therapy or just talking with a, with a friend, even exercise is another way of moving it through. If you don't attend to those things, they get stuck. And at a cellular level, your body will start to, to deteriorate. So you end up becoming physiologically ill as well. Um, and that can manifest over time into these mystery ailments like, uh, you know, uh, back pain and, and joint aches and fibromyalgia and migraine headaches and all sorts of things that medical doctors go, I don't know, you know, all your tests come back fine. You check out, okay, I don't know what to tell you. It's probably probably emotional. So those are the two aspects, like learn your emotions and then acknowledge when you're, you're starting to become a liability to everybody else, you're putting other people at risk, not just yourself. You know, there's something that you bring up there. And I think that there, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of times when, and I'm just going to use a veteran, but anyone, anyone that's been through something traumatic in their lives may not even realize that they're drinking too much, they're sleeping too much, they're sleeping too little. They they mentally, because let's be real, it is an illness, it is a disease, and there are things that, that they may not know that they are doing. They may not realize that their personality is completely different than it used to be last week or last month or last year. If you're in that situation and you'd notice someone that has dramatically changed their lifestyle and all that, you know, Mike, Jake, I'll ask you this from someone that is a loved one of someone with that could be having some mental health issues. How do we approach them to encourage them to seek help without feeling like they're less of a person? Well, I guess back to the original topic of the, the quote unquote stigma. And I hate using that word because it's overused mm -hmm. and it's lost a little bit of meaning. Um, but 
we have to turn it into a not just a, an acceptable discussion, but one that's necessary. And we have to empower people to know how to ask questions. And the best way to do it, I, I mean, I know no other way. I just kick open the door and walk right in. I'm the same uh, right <laughs> I just, I just say, hey, man, um, you seem a little off lately. You know, like that's that's all it has to be. We're not we're not training people to be in you know junior clinicians going diagnosing people. Please don't do that. Um, just say, hey, I'm, I'm noticing that this this change, and I don't, don't speculate as to what it is because that could arise defensiveness uh, in in the person as well. Just say, hey, I care about you. It looks like you you know the departure from what I knew you to be. What's going on? And then shut up and listen. <laughs> like like as one of my professors used to say, catch a bubble. Like. Yep. <laughs> and then sit on it. And it's amazing what will come when you just simply acknowledge from a place of love and compassion that you care and that you notice. Because a lot of times people just don't even think they they're on anybody else's radar. And then the people who are observing it get that get that weird like, I don't know how to deal with this. Just ask. And um, that's uh, that, that's the best way to do it. And then we got to be comfortable you know, with the answer that comes out of their mouth, too. Well, that's true. That's a, that's a whole nother discussion is uh, and all that. But um yeah, it's just one of those things. I think that there are a lot of things that we all have to recognize. We have to recognize when we see a personality change from someone that uh, we love or know, or at least at least know and care about. And then the also thing is is if someone's telling us that hey something seems different, don't automatically throw that defensive shield up. You know, ask yourself, man, is you know, and then talk. Be, be okay to talk about that. That's the only way things are going to happen. Once again, they're not asking you that because they hate you. They're asking you because they love you and they want to see you get better. So if you're out there and you are struggling, first of all, you don't know me from Adam out there, guys. Call me, um, text me, email me. Like I said, you're going to have people out there that are willing to to um, to help. I'm, I'm in a several uh, veteran um, groups on Facebook, and, and it was disturbing about two weeks ago. Uh post comes up and it kind of flags and it said, please, I need someone to call me preferably a Marine. And by the time I, I caught it like six minutes after he posted it, by the time I, I sent him a message saying, here's my phone number, call me 24 seven. There were like 18 other people saying, here's my phone number, call me. Uh, so it was really awesome to see, you know, there is, a, there is a group out there and it's just people that have either been there, done that, or know someone that have, that are willing to help. Uh, now, what we were talking about earlier with Clover is Domo Arigato Manga Rabato. Love the name, by the way. It says every firearm that they bought in a box, they get a joint NRA flyer. Is it viable or even uh, desirable to do that for mental health outreach? And the answer is absolutely. It's already started a while ago. Uh, I'll let Mike talk, bring it out. Obviously, Clover, um, Clover wants to chime in on this. But, yeah, guys, talk about the flyers that uh, either some of the manufacturers are putting in. I know that Clover has taken some and gotten them to his local gun shop, has put them in there. Um, so there's all sorts of initiatives going on. But, Michael, I want you to let you bring it up first and talk about what you try to do with the industry side of things. Yeah, so we do have some manufacturers that are putting uh, – I mean, we have everything from safe manufacturers to firearms manufacturers to even um, – Ammo. Accessories, accessories, yeah, yeah like uh, you know, scopes. Um, but basically, uh, it's our mental health flyer. Uh, it leads to our screenings. Uh, you know, it it's got multi. You know, you can use it different ways. So you can have it in your firearm shop. You can use it as a trainer. 
but what we're really trying to do with this, because they're free and anonymous, it leads to our website. There's about 13 different screenings on there. Um, once again, free and anonymous. Those are important for gun owners. Um, and you can go and just kind of see where you're at. It's a screening. Um, it's, it's not going to change the world. But anecdotally, I have plenty of stories where people have said, I went on there. I didn't like what I saw. And now I'm seeking help. And thank you. So, you know, those are the things that really keep you going when you, you kind of see them. Like I said, it's anecdotal, but it's still important and it still shows you that it is effective. Because when I first started this, sometimes, you know, I was skeptical of these things. Do these things change lives? Yeah, absolutely. They can, you know, and, and you don't need to be in crisis to take a screening and see where you're at. Be perfectly normal and just go through and take them. You know, that's part of the culture change I'm talking about. I'm sorry, Trey. Um, but the, the part of the culture change I'm talking about is it's it's part of the culture when you buy a new gun and you open it up and there's all the warranty information and whatnot. It's like, you know, review our product or, you know, if you buy a, a, a foregrip or something, um, it, it's perfectly normal to solicit somebody to join a membership in your organization, right? It needs to become perfectly normal and encouraged to attend to your well-being. And, you know, I'm glad the gun websites dropped in there because we it's not just manufacturers, it's the retailers and the wholesalers that we could be getting. I, I've recently been um, buying ammo like everybody else has because we're afraid prices are going to spike again. And and I'm ordering from all over the country and every single box that arrives, it's got, it's got some stuff packed in there, right? I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity to throw in things like, you know, like the bracelets that we wear. It says, you know, it says it's got the website, it says free, take free and anonymous mental health screening today. And, um, you know, the flyers that Mike's talking about are just, you know, in their packaging, they can print it on the side like Arms Corps does. So if you guys in the listening audience have connections to those types of people, we would love, love, love to hear about that so we can reach out and make contact and, you know, mag carriers and, um, you know, uh, all sorts of anything that you can think of that, that would go with the gun community, including outdoors products. I mean, you know, uh, targets and um, throwers and, and all sorts of things. We could we throw it in everything. And the, the more we get out there, the more normalized it becomes. Yeah. Um, you know, I put the website, the WTT8, is, it's a, a resources tab. And I printed out the eight and a half by 11. Uh, and I take them down to my local gun shop and I, I don't put them in the boxes. I don't work there, so that's on them. But I, I have a stack on the counter, and they have they put them right there by the cash register where they buy a gun. They're there. Whether or not people grab them or not, it's up to them, but they're there. And I know that Clover has done some really cool work as well, so I'm bringing Clover in. And I know he wanted to address this whole thing about what you can do, but you're right. Anyone can print out a flyer or a resource on the website and take it to a retail store or your gun range or wherever. Uh, but I wanted to bring you in, Clover. I know that you this is something that uh, you've been doing for a while. Yeah. Um, first, I want to I want to address the website. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the screenings, which are great. Mm -hmm. um, probably the marquee thing of the you know of Walk Talk America is the screenings. I get it. Um, but don't discount. There's a section there that's like resources we love or something along that lines, and talk about going above and beyond and getting other opinions and, you know, the podcasts are there like Jake's podcast and various other things for you to maybe learn more about your mental health. Right. Like I'm really big on self-awareness. You know, I'm not a therapist or, you know, anything like that, 
But here's the thing. I, you know, I heard this once before people talk about, you know, in order to practice medicine on somebody else, yes, you need to go through school and you need to get a license and you need all that. But all of the information that is taught to those people that become doctors is readily available for everybody to learn. And for you to learn that so you have a better understanding, not just of your physical well-being, but your mental well-being, there's nothing wrong with that. So utilize those resources and you can be better prepared to maybe identify problems with somebody else uh, and or more importantly, at least I think, identify issues going on with yourself before it becomes overwhelming. Um, now that out of the way, talking about the, the flyers. Yeah. Um, so what? Walk the Talk America has done so far with going to the manufacturers and stuff like that. It's wonderful. It's great. What we can do as individuals, I think, is is better, even though what they're doing is great, because while they're not going to be able to get in a perfect world, we hope that one day it happens. They're not going to be able to get every industry manufacturer to stuff those into their product. Let's be honest. But if we take the time to print these off or download that PDF of the flyer, and we go to our local gun shops, which I have several here in Texas. Every single gun, new, used, doesn't matter if they bought it off gun broker and had it transferred there, doesn't matter. Every single firearm that goes through those gun shops gets one of those flyers. It doesn't matter to make, the manufacturer, or if, it was, if it's a week old or if it's 100 years old, it gets one. And that's something we can all do, which collectively across the nation, think about that with, with gun shops. And then also think of the people that affects the people that helps think about the reach, right. That yep. you get with that. Um, and that's something that Mike and Jake and the other ones, they can worry about more of the core fundamentals with the trainings and the other things. Right. And they don't have to worry as much about, the reach aspect of things. That's something I think that we can on a voluntary basis as people out here that care about our fellow man, take it upon ourselves to visit a couple of gun shops and make that happen. Yeah. And it comes from a trusted source too, right? Like you know, like, Hey, I'm the dude you see every day and here, you know, picking the packages on the shelf, trying 100%. to figure out what, it, what I want to buy next. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, if it's okay with me, it's probably okay with you. The word of mouth is always the best generator of sales, you know? So you're yep. going to go to the restaurant. You trust your, your uh, cousin to tell you is good. And you're going to put the flyer in your store that you trust your patrons have endorsed. Yep. Yeah. Sure. And I think a lot of it come down to, and I'm going back to the website, uh, we've talked about touched on earlier, but you know, one thing Clover brought in is I think where the resources are great is once again, you know, if, if you're having issues and you have gone to this website, that's the first step to begin with is finding the resource to try to help you. But I think a lot of it comes down to as the normal population of society don't know maybe how to identify someone that is struggling and these resources like clover and mike and jake have all said are just as important to someone that isn't having mental crisis uh, because maybe they can you know break it off early because they recognize one of their loved ones is, is having some issues they're having a break um and they're able to acknowledge it and get help before it gets worse. But I, I think that that's just important. It's not just for people that have had 
mental illness. It's something that the loved ones and the families can go because they're a part of this journey as well. And, and, and if you don't think that families aren't involved with someone that's having mental health crisis, you're absolutely wrong. They typically take the brunt of it. Um, not by any fault to anyone's else. It's just, that's the way it happens. So being able to recognize and acknowledge all of this stuff is a huge thing. Uh, I want to bring Mike in and, and say, you know, three years ago, a little over three years ago, um, you know, you had this idea in I think New Orleans or something like that, uh, where you had your initial meeting and had this wonderful idea. Can you kind of take us through where you were three years ago? Because at the time you were still in literally in the industry, um, owning a, a, an importer, but um, where you wanted, where you saw three years ago, where you saw where you wanted Walk the Talk America to be versus where it is now, um, the different roads it might have taken or um, how different is it evolved that you thought it might or you wanted it to? Well, uh, the one, the one is completely different, but the one thing yeah. that, that I guess stayed the same is, is, was my desire to have an organization that once again, didn't matter what side of the fence you fell on. Even if you're like, I just don't like guns, but I like these guys. I like what they're doing. I, that's what I always wanted. And, and that's what I got. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and I brought the right team with me, you know, guys like Jake yeah. and things like that. But, you know, I wanted to be able to create a space where people were comfortable talking to us and people wanted us to come talk to them. Um, not that I, I, I need the, I always say this, I need the staunch, like, I'm not giving an inch prior from my cold dead hands. Like I need that guy um, right next to me, but I have a different approach. We have a different approach of uh, everything we do. Right. Um, and that's the thing is like, everything's going to battle itself out in courts eventually, uh, you know, when it comes to that. But what we're going to do in the meantime is just knock down and get some of these wins. What I didn't expect is for us to be able to get organizations uh, that, that kind of have a different opinion on things, um, but they're allies. They're not the perfect allies, but we have overlapping interests. So now every time that we read a bill, and it stigmatizes mental health and it's anti-gun. And we're able to go to our contacts at different organizations and say, hey, everything you taught us and told us, this doesn't seem like it's lining up right. And then they go out and fight it for us and get it shot down. So like that is that, what's that old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, if the true enemy is mental illness, then anyone that's in that realm of capacity of doing work to fight that is our friend. And I know that you've had some interesting meetings and conversations. You've been asked to come to speak at some places that on paper were probably, Ooh, I don't know if they're going to take me or not. And then you've ended up being great friends and, and allies with these organizations that are helping because ultimately you take the firearm aspect out of the message and we're talking about the same thing. And so whether or not they agree with the firearm side, they don't need to worry about that. They don't have to fight that fight. You're there to fight that fight. And I think that's that's been a cool thing. Yeah, they definitely, you know, one of the things that I will say is like, if you want to save lives, if that's that's really what you care about, and, and regardless on what side of the fence, you, you always have these people, I just want to save lives, I just want to save lives. We say it, they say it, right? If you really want to save lives, then you'll figure out solutions. If you don't, then you're going to, tip your hand and you're going to get exposed. So, you know, everything I do, every conversation I'm in, every group I'm in, I'm in groups with people that people would 
have a heart attack if they found out like you know <laughs> i'm sitting down with these people but see here's the thing we have to sit down right because it, it's checks Amen. and balances like if i'm not there at the table when people are saying ridiculous things and I, I i'm able to sit there and take them down like i always have this saying i like to take people into deep water where they're not comfortable swimming and then i drown them and i know that sounds a little funny but that's that's really what it is right because everything that i look at that when i look at it from uh gun laws right i always look at it from a perspective of how racist is it and how elitist is it right and a lot of these people think that they're doing something good by writing these laws and they don't they, they overlook these certain aspects to it. And if I'm not there at the table for when they do it, I can't call them out on it. So that's the one thing I just, you know, I never expected when I first started the organization. And, and you know, you ask, where are we now? I never would have thought that so many people would be calling the organization, calling guys like Jake, calling me saying, hey, we need you to come down here and talk, or we need to sit down and talk about this, or we need you to review this. We you need know? you to come to the White House and explain some of this stuff, which was, it happened. You were invited to the White House, and you actually had to, uh, which is like a, a cool thing. You had to explain some of the gun myths in the White House. That must have been surreal, you know? Yeah, well, one of the best parts about that was, you know, I got to finish my speech with, hey, look, we the, the gun industry can help you. They can help you save lives, but you have to stop demonizing us. Right. We, we can't be the bad guy anymore in the narrative. You know, there, we, we can give you access to things that will get people help and save lives. But you got to stop the way that we, we we frame the firearms industry. And that was the most important thing about the White House. But, yeah, that whole experience was insane. Yeah. There's I got family members that are rolling around in graves. Trust me, I had no business being in the White House. <laughs> so it was, it was quite these. I remember, Jake, remember that when I first told you? And you're like, you got to go do this. <laughs> you have to. Absolutely, you have to. I thought you were getting punked. He straightforwarded me the email and I was like, I don't know, man. This is, this sounds like fluff. And then, you know, a couple of weeks passed and there he is like <laughs> in the West Wing or wherever you were. Yeah, well, and you know, what came out of that was some great relationships with guys like Dr. Matt. Jay. Yeah. I mean Jay, it's Jay yeah. Zimmerman. Jay Zimmerman, Jay's yeah. Awesome. Like and and the VA still comes back to us. I mean, Jake and I just helped them rewrite their commercial yep. and uh you know, Jake did a lot of heavy lifting there on that commercial. And, um, you know, here's the cool thing. Once again, to all the listeners, they are asking people in the firearms industry their opinions on these things now. And that never, ever happened before. They don't want to insult anymore. They, I mean, I went down to the shoot. To, the commercial was in Pasadena. I went down there and they must have checked in with me 10 times on things. Uh, everything down to the detail of, hey, what kind of box should we use? We don't want to be we don't want to insult people. You know, so like that's that's something new <clears throat> from my perspective. I'll add that I never anticipated that I would be teaching gun culture to um, physicians. So I thought it would always be under the umbrella of this walk the talk thing, whatever. But um, I've since been getting one off requests, um, bullet points project. If nobody's familiar, there's there's a lot of these like gun violence research groups out there and they're, they're doing good work. They're the researchers. Um, sometimes not clinicians, and so they don't know the the in-office interaction with somebody who's struggling with their marriage or whatever, and how to go about asking a question like, where do you store your firearms? They just fumble and go, do you have any guns in the house? And so I'm getting to teach people how to have a more competent conversation and and lead with the presumption that they own guns rather than tiptoeing around with the presumption that they don't. 
and that that's changed so many interactions but but i got to to present to bullet points and i did a half hour webinar i had a whole bunch of firearms laid out from on, in front of me um borrowed a bunch of stuff talked about um locking devices and responsible storage i went through different calibers from the smallest to the biggest showed showed all this stuff on screen right and it was it was for it was designed for anybody who wants to attend from attorneys to physicians to whomever but also the university of nevada school of medicine asked me to do a firearms 101 course where i did the same thing and then i went through our presentation that we give and i talked for two hours on that and i was like when did when did that happen when did i become the <laughs> this, this guy who's teaching doctors about like gun functions this, this is crazy um so for me that's a that's a real blessing like i just i just get to be a conduit through which this information flows and um when i talk i talk in a very non-attached way and i and i call i call the cultures the way that they are my profession is not perfect firearms culture isn't perfect either and one of the things firearms owners can do better is make themselves available to answer those kinds of invitations that mike's alluding to and and we we, we do the same thing we you know we do the judgmentalism too we, we ah, i'm not going to talk to those people it's like those people are your people and remember 50 percent of americans because i mean that was a 2017 poll i just got to assume it's north of that and in certain states like mine it's way north of that so that that crosses all demographics you're going to be talking to physicians and mental health practitioners and dentists and and anybody else who works in any other industry and you can presume that half your audience is going to be gun owners and they want to learn about this stuff and then the other half doesn't they're just curious because they're like yeah i kind of recognize this blind spot and i probably should address it don't know how because nobody offers this kind of thing well guess what we do and we might be the only people in america doing it right now. we might be the only people in the world doing it right now and that's pretty special you know so i, I want to say yes to everything and i want to come in with some humility and some curiosity, wondering, you know, how people got to their certain worldviews and then invite them to see it through my lens as I'm being invited to see it through their lens. And hopefully in the middle, we can all gather and you can keep your opinions. That's fine. But at least you know where they come from now. Right. And instead of being on the fringes, you know, shouting at each other with the, the screechiness, that's just very off putting. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to, um, being able to have a conversation with someone that's like-minded. And I think that that's huge. Like you said, if you're a physician, whether it's clinical or, you know, a, a psychiatrist, whatever, and, and you are at least familiar with firearms, can talk firearms and someone, you can have that conversation because they feel more comfortable. He's a gun guy. So he's not going to automatically call the police and say, hey, you know, this guy's having issues. We need to come get his guns. He's a gun guy. And I think that that's also I think if more people knew that there were physicians out there that were at least empath uh, apathetic or empathetic to um, firearm owners in general, that would be nice to know. And, um, and I, I don't know if this is a thing, but, you know, this could be something that happens years down the road. There could be an association of doctors you know doctors for gun rights or you know i think there is something out there but i mean a, an organization or a network where people could be wherever they are and i need to go to a doctor of some sort and there they can go online and say where's this network yet is there anyone in, in my hometown that is a firearm you know or at least a 2a doctor which i think would be kind of yeah. cool you know have doctors without borders this could be a doctors for you know 2a doctors or something but that could be something that would be an opportunity i think um 
Yeah, I want to I want to address that, but then I see Gun Loving Grandpa has a couple questions yeah. I also want to address because those are super important. I don't know if you want to put those on the screen, but to answer your yeah. question, yeah. what we're trying to do with the website is create a database, you know, a registry of sorts where clinicians can advertise themselves. And my vi my view of this, my vision for the future is that we have all fifty states and DC represented by licensed practitioners uh, with many. Uh, credentials of all different types and yeah. then you know, you could scroll through and find the, the people in your state who are 2A advocates or 2A friendly or you know competent at least and and then you can seek your professional level of help um, what I'm I'm sensing is because we've given our training now we have a three-part training we've done two of those parts the third parts coming up in December um, I'm sensing that clinicians in the same way that I was afraid to come out of the closet, don't want to offend, quote unquote, their peer colleagues, and they don't want to lose their friends or whatever uh, by by tacking up their shingle and saying, yeah, this is this is who I am, this is who I treat. Like We, we have all different specialties in, in my profession, and we have no problem advertising those, but for some reason, when it comes to firearms, we're still skittish about it. And I think I think it's just the peer, peer judgment, and I hate that. Like, I hate it. Um, so I'm trying to fight that the best I can. And um, hopefully the voice gets augmented a little bit, but, to, um, I want to, I want to tackle a couple of those cause the, the, the yeah, somebody doesn't wanna, want to help him. So this happened, uh, gun little grandpa lives about half an hour from me. He's a, we shoot the club together a lot. Good friend kind of happened with someone that he knew a few months back. And so he's asking, can you help somebody who does not want help? Yes. However, <laughs> and here's the asterisk. You have to be deferential. You have to meet them where they are. And a great, great, great book on meeting somebody where they are is called Walking Through Anger by Christian Conti, C-O-N-T-E. It's about 18 bucks on Amazon. He's a good friend and mentor of mine. He lives in Pennsylvania. But um, it, it's less about anger, more about yield theory, which he talks about. It's just meeting somebody where they are. But I want to go through the stages of change real quick because I find that most people find this interesting. So in, in, in any time you want to make change, you have to go through these stages and they're and they're hierarchical for the most part. You have to go through one to get to the next and so forth. And the first stage at the bottom is called pre-contemplation. You don't you're not even aware there's a problem. Right. So awareness is a big thing. And, and Clover touched on that. To bring awareness to somebody, to move them from pre-contemplation to contemplation, which is the next step up where contemplation is like you, you're like, I think I think I might need to make I, need, I think I might need to make some change. Preparation to action to maintenance. Um, you have to you have to ask specific questions and I'll, and I'll just define the stages real quick and then I'll, I'll say the kind of the, the miracle question that gets it done. So preparation is above contemplation where you're like, okay, I need to start doing, I need to make change. Action is when you've you've made the change and then maintenance is when you maintain it. So um, there's there's something called we could loosely call it relapse in there that kind of circles you back down um, to, to one of the, the other stages maybe. And then I would even insert below pre-contemplation pre is denial, right? If you're if you're willfully denying that you have a problem, you're still in pre-contemplation, but it's a little bit more aggressive, right? So you want to circumvent the fight or flight reflex. You want to circumvent their defensiveness. And a great way to, to do that is is the following: I wonder, I wonder, and you and you don't ask it as a smart aleck, you know, condescending way in a, in a bad tone of voice that puts them off. But you go, hey, I wonder if. Um, I wonder if you if if you're living your best life right now. You know, I wonder I wonder if this is really how you want to be. I wonder if you're truly at peace. I wonder if maybe it's time for you to to make a change somewhere. Very casually, very innocently, but again, full of love and compassion, not condescending. And you go, I wonder I wonder if maybe it's time to 
to think about making some change. And and one of the <laughs> the the examples I use, like if you poop your pants, you know, pre contemplation is you, you poop your pants and everybody else can smell it, and they're like, hey, where's that smell coming from? And you're like, it's not me. <laughs> and then they get a little closer, like I think it's you. In fact, I'm I'm seeing some brown and you know trickling down the inside of your your inseam there. And then you, you move from pre contemplation to contemplation, going, well, maybe. Maybe I need to make a change, and then preparation is like I, I think I think I need to change my pants, and then uh, action is you you actively go and like change your drawers, and then uh, maintenance is you're clean, right? So, uh, but but so people can sit in pre contemplation for a long, 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 long time, especially if they practice whatever habit they've been doing for a long time. Um, some people like sitting in their own poop, and uh, they're you know it's comfortable and it's theirs and it's warm and they know it really well, and everybody else is like, dude. You, you look miserable. Now you got a rash and you're like, maybe, maybe we need to, maybe we need to talk about changing your pants. Um, so you, you know, you can't, you can't come barge in and be like, Hey, I'm effort, change your pants. You're stinking up the room. You know, you're not going to get an audience that way. You got to meet them where they are. Um, and then the other one is a great, great question too. The fear of guts yeah, thing. Uh, we're, we're, before we go to this one, uh, I want to bring Clover in and, and uh, Clover, do you have anything you want to add or ask right now? Well, I, I mean, I agree with what uh, with what Jake's saying there, and I like the way you know he mentioned and brought in the relapse. Uh, I guess my question to that would be, in that hierarchical thing, is there anything above maintenance? Hmm, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. You, you could, you could certainly progress to teaching other people or modeling it or becoming a leader, um, because you never learn anything better than when you teach it to somebody else. Right. So it's, it's one thing to become good at something. It's, it's something very different to start um, trickling that out into the community and, and helping others because you yourself get so practiced at it that you become exceptional. And then there's very little uh, chance for slipping back down that ladder. Um, I, I teach emotional functioning. I, I know it like the back of my hand now, but I didn't at one point and it got taught to me and I, was, I kind of cognitively understood. I was like, yeah, 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 I get this. But then I was compelled into teaching it at one point or another my, early on in my career. And then I really found some utility and then I started extrapolating it out to, to other uh, instances and you can apply it elsewhere. And I, so then it just became my thing. So t- 10 years later, here I am. And I'm like, well, I'm guessing the emotional functioning guy. And, and that's, that's all I do. Like, I, I don't know that I can become unaware. There's an old phrase that says once you become aware, you can no longer become unaware. I don't think yeah. I can ever become unaware of my emotions. That doesn't mean that I won't lash out at my children, for example, and yell at them out of anger, <laughs> but I'm very quick to recognize it at least and pull myself back. So I would say be, beyond maintenance is, you know, practice and then education. Almost. Yeah. And I, Oh, sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to lump it in there, but in the, in a 12 step program, uh, becoming a sponsor, or a mentor to the next yep. person is a big part of that. And I think that is probably important. Once you've kind of mastered your demons, if you will, um, it's easier to spot and to help someone that's walked down. It's that old, that old adage I use it all the time is a guy's in the hole and he's yelling up to up there and say, Hey, I've fallen this hole. I can't get out. And a guy jumps in. He says, what the hell are you doing? He goes, now we're both stuck here. He goes, yeah, but I've been here before and I know the way yep. out. And it's wonderful. Sorry, yeah, that's that's great. Well, I mean, you you, and you—that was a good turn of phrase that you used with mastering your demons, right? You you didn't say that that you had vanquished your demons, right? No, you you mastered them. That means you're still living with those demons. You're just the master of those demons. In other words, whatever issue, yeah, you at least confront 
And this know? was this is what kind of goes on. You know, I've got certain things that I I deal with constantly, but I'm aware of it. I know what causes it. I know how to deal with it. And so that's why I asked the question about maintenance is because I know that I have it and they're not major issues. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I'm blessed compared to the vast majority of the people, but it's a situation to where I feel as though I'm perpetually in that maintenance stage. Right. And I'm okay with that, but anything ever, I don't, I don't see myself as, is it's going to be literally I've mastered my demons. I'm living with them. I'm the master of them, but it really doesn't get any better than that. It is what it is. But maybe uh, acceptance of that is the next level, right? Sure. Yeah, there's so much I could talk about with relation <laughs> to, you know, depth of self and conscious and unconscious function. I mean, I, I could talk for an hour about that. It's it's amazing. That's you're absolutely right. Uh, let's go to G Webs, and he says, "Do you see any opportunity or strategy to challenge their fear of guns specifically?" They will ignore a cigarette lighter, knife, and rope to complain the gun is unsafe. Is this something we can use? Mike's got a good response to that, but I want to give mine first, um, and then I can step out of the way. So I, I prefer not using the um, what about uh, thing. There's a lot of what aboutism going on. That tends to elicit defensiveness, and then people get entrenched in their positions. What I, what I prefer to do is lean right into the fear and go, hey, your fear is valid. Now, in the back of my mind, what I'm thinking is, your fear is probably not not centered on, and this gets a little bit in the emotional functioning thing. Fear is one of the 10 core emotions that we all have. Um, fear is there to tell us that a threat or a danger is present. Okay. So it's possible that this person's got history, a negative history with firearms. Maybe they were threatened with it. Maybe one went off negligently. That's another word we want to start using more often is negligent, not accident. Um, maybe, maybe they have a legitimate reason. But that reason has passed, right? So I want to keep that in my mind. The other thing I want to keep in mind is the vast overwhelming majority of people I've spoken with who are scared of guns are scared out of simple not knowing. It's ignorance, not willful ignorance, because um, those people tend not to be curious and they don't want to confront it. They're not They're not sitting in the same room taking the training. You know what I mean? They're, they're the ones who will never change their minds. So people who are, who are in front of you having the fear and they're like, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm afraid of guns. Um, lean into the fear and go, yeah, that's legitimate. It's probably because you're, you're not knowledgeable about them. And if you think about anything that you, somebody's not knowledgeable about uh, it, the mystery of the uncertainty is scary. We like certainty. We, as a, as a species, like knowing things, we like figuring things out, but especially in the West where we're driven so much by science, we love to have solutions and we, you know, medicine tells us that we don't need to be sick and, and then we'll get over it and then we won't die. And like there's, there's all these, these things going on, these mentalities, but the, the fear of the unknown is a very powerful fear. And if we could just lean into that and go, I, I get it, you know, validate that fear and say, yeah, I get it. It's it, these things can appear scary, especially based on what you may have seen through media and may miss, miss portrayals or inaccurate portrayals. And so we go, Hey, and again, the invitation, meet them where they are. Hey, would you like me to show you about right. this? Would you, were you interested in changing your mind? It's a long conversation. You can't have that 280 characters at a time over Twitter. You got to have a, a personal relationship. You got to have um, rapport with the person and and then invite them in and, and take some time. Invite them out to the range. And that's where I, I get say, have you take, have you, <laughs> Is that something where uh, this is a great transition? I was going to ask Mike and. Historically, what have you found 
is it easier to maybe to get people to transition if you take them to the range or at least ask if they'd be interested in going to the range? Yeah, I mean, we, we just had a – it was it aired on Fox News in Reno, um, the next stage, right? It's the next stage. Um, yeah, it's a documentary. Documentary where we actually took somebody out to the desert to to shoot firearms. But I don't think you need to even do that, to be honest. I mean, it that helps, obviously, if someone's willing to – confront their fear of firearms because we had uh, Connie Ray out there and she basically, I mean, was shaking while Jake was taking her through the process. Right. But she was, that was a, took a lot of courage on her part, but we just had Dr. Uh, Sh- uh, Sherry Moloch on the podcast. And there, that's someone that we didn't have to take to the range. Right. Um, I met with her on a monthly call with a bunch of different other organizations uh, NSSF was one of them, right? All these different organizations. And she just started to sway her opinion about firearms and change it just from listening to guys like me and Rob Pincus talk about firearms and address firearms in a different way because we're hitting it from all different angles, right? How it affects different cultures. So, I mean, I don't think it necessarily needs to be take somebody out to the range. If you can get them to do it, that is going to be a great way because um, they're either going to walk out of there and say like, I want to do this again, or at least they're going to change the way they feel about a firearm. Um, you just, you know, I'm preaching to the choir with this audience, but you know, we all know what it's like the first time you fire a firearm, right? Like you shoot it and realize how, how powerful it is. And there comes this understanding, but you also know that you control it, right? It's a, you control it. And I think that that's very important. You know, let me ask you this. I, I, um, I think we've all seen darkness in our lives and I've got family members that have spent months at a time in the bedroom with the lights off and, you know, fighting illness every day. When you see in your experience, when you see someone that has, I'm not going to say reached the light, but has seen the light or acknowledged that there is a light in that darkness. You know, I've seen it uh, almost overwhelm someone sometimes almost like a rebirth if you will, uh, that's gotta be pretty powerful to know that you're helping someone that honestly may not have been around a week from now, um, and maybe change their lives to understand that, Hey, it's okay. Um, to acknowledge that there's this darkness in your life and there is a light if you're willing to go look for it. But, uh, my question is, is, you know, I, I guess it's, it's hard. I've seen it very hard for people, even though they've acknowledged the fact that there's this darkness to take, that are willing to take that journey because it is, it's hard work to look for that light. If you're out there and you know, someone that's in your life that, um, is going through that darkness. We've talked about how to, we've talked about how do we acknowledge it or how do we, um, see that in loved ones. Once we've gotten to that point where we've acknowledged and we've helped them acknowledge that there's this darkness, at what point do we back off and let them take this journey themselves? Or do we try to go along that ride with them? Uh, man, stories upon stories. I could, I could relate. Uh, there's really two questions in there. One is, um, how do you how do you help somebody see the see the light? And a lot of them have convinced themselves, or others have convinced them over time that there isn't a light, and and that's not true. Um, if I believe that mental illness was uh, something that was an immutable characterological trait that we could never change, then my profession wouldn't exist, and I'd be out of work because no one would ever heal, recover, rehabilitate, you know, grow. So 
I, I just fundamentally don't believe that it's, it's true that somebody's stuck there forever. Um, so I have to operate from that base first. And then it's my job to, again, the invitation and the, the desire on behalf of the person I'm speaking with to want to make the change. There's the old <laughs> joke that says, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> yeah, the answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Uh, so I've never heard that. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there has to be a desire, even, even a little twinkling. And sometimes that desire comes through compulsion. You know, when you finally face with the choice, like fix this or lose your job, fix this or lose your wife, fix this or go to prison. And some of the best therapy I've done is through some of that compulsory counseling, you know, parents are dragging their kid in against as well. I don't think I have a problem. I like getting Fs, you know, whatever it is. And, and again, you, you lean into it, you yield to them and you go, all right, well, it's your choice. Um, just seems like you're miserable, right? So you start pointing out the things that they know are already true. And if you're bold enough and courageous enough to go there and start calling things as they are and not tiptoe around and go, you know, you can sit here in the darkness, um, but it looks like you're pretty miserable and they know they're miserable and you've just acknowledged it, it gives them nowhere to go. Right. So like, well, now you can see through me, I guess I got to do something about this. So that's one way of, of acknowledging that. So you're bringing the light to them and you're saying, Hey, look, here's the light, take it or leave it. Um, there are some consequences for, for your choices here. And then the other half of that has to do with a matter of personal ethics. And it just so happens I did an ethical video recently about why we get into to conflict uh, and we dig our heels in when both sides, quote unquote, or many sides all believe that they have the best interests of whatever it is they're doing at heart. And the ethical conflict most of the time is the tension between autonomy, which is respecting a person's ability to choose for themselves and the justice, meaning act on their behalf. And so you can act on somebody's behalf and you can keep, you always stick with them. Don't, don't abandon anybody, but doing it for them is a very different shade of helping right if you do it for them what you've done is you've stolen their autonomy from them and let's pretend that it's even possible to solve this person's problem for them right let's say you do that well now they haven't learned that they can do it for themselves they you've created dependence and they're now relying upon you for the next problem that they need to solve and that's an unhealthy relationship when somebody's dependent upon you to do things that they could normally otherwise do for themselves and, and it takes an incredible amount of strength and non-attachment and courage to say, hey, I've, I've, I've walked you this far. Now you have to go through the door. I'm not opening the door for you. I'm definitely not shoving you through it. So I'm just going to stand here. And as long as it takes, I'm here for you. And sometimes that's all it takes, just sitting next to somebody. Being like, I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm not going to carry your pain for you. I'm not going to pull you out of it. But I'm not going to ban you. And then eventually they go, yeah, this kind of does suck. I don't, I don't want you sitting here either in my misery. So I guess I guess I'll walk through the door. And that's when you can go, all right, you're on your own. And then what we have to do is watch them in their own distress and not try to carry it for them. Because a lot of times we want to jump into somebody's stuff to pull them out of it, not because we see that they're suffering as much as we don't want to watch it. And that's really hard to do. So it takes an incredible amount of self-discipline once you've You've led them to the point where they, they have all the information they just need to execute to let them do it. It's it's hard, especially with children. Uh, those of you parents, grandparents even, it's it's really, really hard not to do stuff for your children. So we always want to protect them from harm. Um, and yet that's how we evolve. You know, um, it reminds me of a scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting uh, where Robin Williams literally sits there for like three straight sessions and doesn't say a word. Like, what do you guys talk about? We haven't talked in three hours. Well, why not? Because he has to make the first move. 
I can't make the he's got to make the first move because without that, he's doing what I'm telling him to do. He's got to want to make this first move. And I thought it's a great thing. Um, also, you were talking about, uh, you know, being alone uh, necessarily in, in, in all of that. And it brings up a question that, that Buck out there says, would you recommend getting a puppy dog to help them? I think that this, and I'm going to let the professional talk about this, and then Mike, you're more welcome to jump in. But uh, for me, honestly, I think that yes, I think that a lot of the time, at least in my experience and experience that I've been around some of my my guys, is the feeling of being alone. And if nothing else, you know, they might not be able to talk to their wife or their dad, or their mom, or their brother and sister. Maybe a, a little dog, a serious dog. They can talk to by themselves and they know that the dog's not going to talk back, but you know, I, I would say that anything, you know, get creative, anything that could possibly help someone that I think needs to be on the table and, and get creative with it. So, uh, you know, Mike, Jake, when it comes to service animals, so I'm not going to talk about dog, but service animals or anything like that. Um, and I, I agree with G webs. He, th- he says that he thinks puppies can cure almost everything. I agree with that statement. I'm a big puppy. Uh, they think we all are big puppy lovers here, but, um, you know, when it comes down to service animals or something that is not a human being that can still make someone feel not alone, as I think is a big deal. Uh, do you agree with that? Puppies can also cure the problem of clean carpets. They, they can cure that problem real quick. <laughs> And on and, and brand new furniture. If you want it oh, rustic yeah. and beat up looking, they can definitely take care of that as well. <laughs> they do a great job of that. I got three of them right now running around out there. But I, I will say this though, just back to your point. You know, mm-hmm. my wife, our puppies, our dogs, they give her they, they fill a hole that I can't, and then my daughters can't. It, it, it just, you could see it the way she talks with them, the way that she goes to them way she'll lay down with them so i think there's something to that for sure i'll and, say and they, this. Love, oh, and they love mma as well uh, i've been in your living room watching an mma fight and they were all about the mma as well <laughs> which is a cool thing <laughs> go ahead sorry jake little puppies putting each other in triangle holds yeah, we're, uh, we're, like they were getting into it they're like oh, all right all right <laughs> yeah no I'll say, I'll say this um if it's working keep doing it you know um but that holds attention too. If it's working to the point of destruction, you want to pay attention to that. And one, one other thing I wanted to chime in earlier and kind of slipped my mind was something you want to watch out for when we're talking about the change in people's behaviors or demeanors or whatnot. Some of that change can look like isolation and it's not often the traditional type of isolation where you're sitting in the dark by yourself with the, you know, blinds shut. Um, Isolation can look like, avoidance in the form of too many extracurricular activities because you can't stand being at home. You know, that's one thing because you're intimidated by your children or you're not getting along with your spouse or whatever it is. And, and that can, you know, on the, on the surface to the public view, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Larry just really loves his softball seven days a week. He's out there at the complex, you know, swatting balls with the, with his teams and every other weekend, he's in a tournament out of town. It's like he just loves softball. It's his thing. It's like, when's he home? When's he home? You know, so when, he, when he's home, is he home? Is he even present, right? Yeah. You know, he comes home at 
eight thirty after the kids are in bed, wakes up early to go to work. You know, so so that's a that's a form of isolation. I call it avoidance. And what are you avoiding? It could be a number of things, but that's one way that we can identify that somebody has shifted. Now, maybe they've always just had a softball passion. And, you know, wife knew it when she married Larry or whatever, and you know they're they're cool with that. But um, if if it's working, keep doing it. If it starts to become what I would call pathological or unhealthy. Um, that's that's when it's time to reevaluate. You know, did you go from your scotch and a beer a night, which is not pathological, to two scotches and three beers a night, and you're oversleeping and showing up late to work in the morning? That's that might be cause for concern. So, you know, uh, ostensibly the person might say, oh, "No, no, it's just good. It just helps take the edge off." And then it's the it's up to the person who's living with them to go, "Yeah, but eight months ago you were doing one and one. Now you're doing three and two. And I noticed that you know about eight months ago, nine months ago is when you started having friction with your manager at work. You know, it's like we have to help people put these things together because the unconscious function of the mind will oftentimes obscure what is very obvious to everybody else, but not to the to the individual doing it. Um, man, you're working out a lot. Yeah, yeah, getting healthy, working out a lot, getting healthy. Are you eating? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just, I'm losing weight, I'm losing weight. You know, that could be a problem, too, because, you know, they're getting bullied at school or whatever. You know what I mean? So we want to be pay attention to those those changes that out, out of the norm that may have a logical justification for them. But, it, but it's actually just a rationalization. Um, that's part of the awareness uh, building as well. But if it's working, dude, keep keep doing it. It's working. Get a puppy. And I, th Get two I think uh, there's something that you can also be in the lookout. It's something I've witnessed in my life is if there's something that habits or things that you've done i saw that thanks buck um but uh if there's some, let's just say mary and larry always went to the grocery store together and they went to the movies and all and all of a sudden larry's never takes mary to the grocery store he still goes to the grocery store but it's by himself or there's just been there's little bitty things there's and it might be something as simple as that or you know you used to take the kids to the park on sunday and he doesn't want to do that anymore and uh, like you said, isolation doesn't necessarily mean stuck in a dark room, you know, depressed and depression can show its face in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's one of the things that when, when most people think and they hear the words mental health, they think one of two or three things. They think like PTSD, I think is the big elephant in the room, but they think that, you know, bipolar or schizophrenia and all this stuff. And there's so many elements and so many moving parts in the mental health arena that people don't think is mental health. And it's something that is simple as, you know, what you would think is, oh, that's just Joe being Joe. Well, why is Joe being Joe? You know, um, but I think that you, you hear, I, and I would say that I'm one of them. When I hear mental health, my mind, just for specific reasons, goes to PTSD. And I think that and you have the bipolar side of things and depression. Um, all of these things are all part of it. And um, understand this is the, the tough thing about these is some of these are illnesses. They are diseases. Uh, it's not something that's made up in their mind. Um, you know, it, it is sometimes it's a chemical thing that is yeah. made up. It's not just something that's, oh, I feel depressed. Well, sometimes it is a chemical thing that they are, you know, having issues. Well, so don't just think this person is just weak minded. No, it's not necessarily that. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And I would argue that it 100% is a chemical, you call it an imbalance. It's a little, little imprecise, but, but the, the idea is that, 
yes, we have neurochemicals that flow through our brains that tell our brains to tell our bodies to do stuff. And if you get too much of it and you get stuck in that mode, well, that's no longer an emotion. It becomes a mood. And if you have a bad mood, it's mood disorder. And that becomes problematic. And so we're evaluating these things over time. Um, I'm a little cautious about use of the word disease <clears throat> just because it tends to evoke a, like a physiological condition that can be treated with a different avenue. Um, okay. I don't mind it. I know it's I know it's common parlance, but I, I tend to be a words guy and diseases are typically left to the um, to the to the biological rather than the mental. Um, but your point is still the same. And, and one thing I want to throw in there is the anxiety. And these days, anxiety yeah. is king. Uh, there's so much unrest and chaos and uncertainty in all areas of life right now. And we all have opinions on why and how, but the, how, what I want to share is that oftentimes anxiety can masquerade as depression. And I've seen countless instances of people who come into my quarters and looks, walks, talks, acts like depression. Even the, even the prescriber has prescribed antidepressants, which if you have anxiety and you're prescribing antidepressants, that's like absolutely the worst thing you can do. Um, and it's anxiety. And, and all it takes is a few talented questions to ask. And it sounds like I'm tooting my own corn, but there's a lot of lazy diagnostics going on these days. And what it is, is you, you got so much anxiety that you get to the point where you go, why try? It's too overwhelming. There's too much going on. I can, and and maybe you're too perfectionist. I see this a lot in children too. They're held to a super high standard. Their their perfectionism isn't achievable, and they know that deep within themselves. And so they just kind of slide into something that looks like depression. But really, on the inside, they're just they're worried all the time about everything. And the way to to get out of that is again go to the neurochemical function. Like, what is your fear telling you? Right. These are deeper conversations. But I would caution everybody like. Don't just assume that the outward appearance is what it is. Sometimes they masquerade as as other things, and when you when you start down a wrong path, um, you could you could cause some real harm. So be aware of your anxieties. Be aware of what you what you're worried about. And I'll take a brief moment to mention this. So that there's a there's a I think it's Stephen Covey. There's a principle of sphere of influence and sphere of concern. Sphere of influence is like golf ball sized. Sphere of concern can be as big as your room. You can be concerned about lots of things. What can you actually do something about, though? And that is much, much, much smaller. So if you can make, again, make peace with the uncertainty of COVID and politics and economy and whatever. And then what can you control? That's your sphere of influence. You can control yourself. You can control your responses to environment. You can control how much time you spend doing things like doom scrolling Twitter. Personal testimony. <laughs> dealt with that. Um, but even in my own mind, and, and I'll leave with this, you know, to, to hand it off to somebody else, I'll testify that even working in this profession, maybe it's a, kind of a damnable misery is that I have the level of awareness that I do. And I've got the, the tens of thousands of hours of clinical practice. Uh, several years ago, I was in the middle of a pretty big shit storm. Can we cuss on here? Well, I just did. Oh, um, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of poop <laughs> flying around and, uh, like raining poop and swirls of poop. And, um, anyway, life was was not good and um it was because i just bitten off more than i could chew with uh, various things and there was a moment speaking of the isolation there was a moment we i felt myself snap in the middle of church and normally i like singing in church and it's just you know i sing poorly but i like it and i wasn't singing i was just thinking about things and i had this this weird break inside my own mind where i was like man i am losing it 
and I'm supposed to not, I'm supposed to be the one in charge. Right. And so we go home after church. Uh, my wife's mom happened to be in town. Um, cause my parents were out of town. She's going to watch the kids visit or whatever. And, um, I'm in the garage and I just finished cleaning out my homebrew. I've cleaned out my beer fridge and I was repairing some rust stains and I was, I was spray painting it. So, you know, cover up the rust and re rehabilitate the fridge. And I did not need to be doing that. I had like a zillion things I could have been doing. And I'm in the garage and I'm spray painting and Heather, come, my wife comes out. She goes, what are you doing? And I turned over and I went, I'm avoiding. And I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I was avoiding everything, everything on my plate for work, for the extracurriculars I was involved in. I was avoiding the kids. I was avoiding everything. And I knew it. I was so aware of it at the time, but man, I couldn't pull out of it. And it took me, it took me a few days and it was really, really scary. And in that moment of, you know, several moments it was several hours, but I was like, now I get it. I get why people kill themselves. It was, it was bizarre. I wasn't suicidal myself in that time. I just had this awakening that I went, now I get it. I get how people could see that they're so trapped. And that was not depression. It looked like depression. I was drinking like a fish at the time, but it was anxiety. So, yeah. you know, be mindful of that kind of stuff and be honest with yourself. Uh, G Webb's great question. Man, he's, he's on the ball tonight. Mental health includes physical injury too, correct? Uh, a baseline brain mental testing to see where your mental health is at now can be useful if after an injury you see them different. And I know they do this when it comes down to like head injuries, concussions. They have a, a concussion baseline in, in sports and all that. <laughs> what about the idea of a mental health baseline? Is there a way you think that people could utilize this? Yes. We do them all the time, um, but uh, I think the it's tough to get that before and after, right? Because you want to know that when you've got your before, it's accurate, and there's nothing else swirling in your life that could otherwise skew the baseline. And then, um, you know, afterward, when, when do you test, right? So we could do a controlled experiment. Somebody deploys, somebody comes back. You can kind of evaluate that, I suppose. Um, but with specific regard to a head injury, a traumatic brain injury, something that's structural and organic, um, I think it's wise to just be aware of it. Uh, I have a very good friend who had a TBI back when he was 24 years old. I'm we're 43, 42 now. And um, he had a, he crashed his motorcycle. And still to this day, um, he's got anger impulse issues. Now he's aware of them and he controls them to Chris's point earlier about, um, you know, mastering the demons, not um, eradicating them. Rob's learned how to, to cover that. And I've had him on my own podcast before, and he talks openly about this. It's a very, very cool story. Um, he almost died and, but it's, it's with him still. And, um, and he knows it and he's, he's learned how to, to get it under control. Uh, he was very fortunate. Some people don't understand, you know, a series of concussions, CTE, you know, that kind of thing, uh, sports contact sports, especially. So yes, absolutely. But here's it's, it, Here's where I want to go with this. The less obvious ones, you didn't you didn't fall down a series of steps and hit your head a bunch of times, and it's like, oh, obviously your brain scrambled, right? Um, I'm talking people who have chronic ailments that whether or not they can point to them is immaterial. The point is they're living in pain. I'm currently living in pain because I got some scoliosis in my back from playing sports my whole life, knee problems. And that can really foul your mood, man. You know, like when you're constantly in pain and then what do we do? Painkillers, except no. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man. Uh, so it, 
we want to be mindful of that too, because one can absolutely affect the other. I mentioned earlier, you can have some, some blocked up emotional stuff that'll turn into physiological problems. The reverse is also true, or the inverse, I should say, where you can hurt yourself and it doesn't get well. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're not just in a bad mood because you're not, you're hurting, but you're contemplating your role in life. It's like, well, I used to be this highly athletic person or I, I, now I can't climb a ladder and put up the Christmas lights. It's like, oh my God, you know, what kind of dad am I when I can't put up Christmas lights for my kid? True story. Uh, so that, that's real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, there's a lot of things that happen on a daily basis that you would never individually think that that could lead to X, Y, Z, but you take a, B and C D E and F and collectively they could add up to Z. And, and um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down and Clover makes a great, a great point. It says sadly, most people bring anxiety onto themselves uh, we need more education on how the people relax. And I think a lot of it comes down to um, if you can laugh and you can cry every day, try to do something that's going to make yourself laugh. Whether it's a joke or a movie or something, um, showing the, showing your mind that you still have emotions. And it sounds crazy. Um, if you've never been around a psychopath, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. They, they're, they're masters at faking, but they truly don't have emotions um and that's a scary thought when you realize that person doesn't feel love doesn't feel anger doesn't feel anything i don't ever want to be that way you know um so if you can make yourself laugh make yourself cry on a daily basis at least keep in touch with your emotions at least you let you know you have them and then relax um one of the things that i try to help i, I help younger people especially uh veterans they come home, they're angry. You mentioned anger earlier. They're, they're angry uh, because, one, they don't, no one understands them or they've seen horrific things. They've done horrific things and they just, you know, and they get mad at every little thing, you know, that should have been gray. Why, why, why did you get me a white T-shirt? I like gray T-shirts, you know, whatever it sets them off. And I was helping this young man uh, a few months ago and, and I told him, he said, I just understand I'm angry all the time. And and I said, I give myself one good fight a day, one. And every time I feel like myself is just getting riled up, I'll ask myself, is this the fight that I want to go with today? Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, it's not. You know, And there are days that I don't fight at all. You know, But I mm-hmm. give myself legitimately one fight a day. But every time something happens, is this the fight that I want to fight today? And if the answer is no, then you got to let it go. And, um, and, and that's something that I'm not saying that helps, but uh, – um, it is what it is. Now, Clover says he's got a good story to bring up, so I want to bring Clover in. What you got here, homie? Yeah, you know, you talk about the anger thing, and this is something that, um, and my wife knows it's true. I mean, I'm blessed to have my wife, and, you know, her and I are vastly different, but then we're, you know, there's mm-hmm. core similarities, right, to us. And one of the things that's always worked for us is from a marital standpoint and particularly with anger issues and ghosts can attest to this is we fight like cats and dogs intentionally getting on each other's nerves about the most benign, small, stupid things. And then when the big things come along, all that's out of our system. It, 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 we keep all of that out of our system 
with the crap that does not matter. And, and Ghost can attest to it. Mike might even can that we we bickered and thought about just some stupid, stupid stuff. Nope, and outside outside looking scary. in, outside yeah. looking in, people see that and they go, "Man, those two! How can they possibly be happy?" And it's like, well, it's because. It works. We, we, we expend the energy on the stupid stuff, right? And to an extent, we enjoy it because it's stupid stuff. It's nothing that's detrimental to the marriage, right? Clover so, has witnessed my wife and I uh, yeah. slowly do yeah. that because we're both very, how do I put this, prideful people. We're both uh, A personalities and we bicker a lot, but we're both exact same to where five minutes later, once we get it off our chest, it's over. We move on. Never brought up again. So in a way, it may not be healthy, but for us, it works because we know that we were comfortable enough with ourselves that we can get it off our chest to each other. And five minutes later, it's like nothing ever happened. And so I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it works for us, you know. <laughs> I can't um, stress enough the emotional functioning uh link uh if 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 i can invite everybody to watch that i think you'll find it incredibly instructional and um and applicable to your life and and i i just really strongly stress that and and the book the the walking through anger that i i mentioned it's incredibly useful yeah uh this has been an amazing conversation it has gotten to the point where i think that a lot of people don't necessarily want to hear this conversation yet i know that's something that mike and jake are working hard we're all trying to work hard on making this a real a conversation that can be had normally without anxiety or fear of what the conversation is um we still got a long way to go. It's not going to happen overnight, but I want to thank you guys uh, to have some fun before we go do our closing and let you guys plug. We do some polls every week and they're kind of fun little polls. And I want to uh, go over some of the results, but ask you the questions too, Mike and Jake. Uh, these are from last week. Um, and I know Mike, I know Mike will have a, a very definite um answer for this and he'll he'll feel strongly about one of these answers but the first question is the best this is of the of these choices that i give you we've got 516 people that voted best rap group of the 80s your choices run dmc beasties nwa public enemy or other you know tell us who you would choose best rap group of the 80s mike Oh, yeah, I think you got to go with NWA. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake, do you have do you have do you have a, a best rap group? You're a little younger than us, but you're about you and Clover are about the same age, so you probably are. Uh, you you still remember the rap, the, the late '80s, early '90s rap scene that was so good. Yeah, my problem is I didn't get into rap until the '90s, and yeah. and then um, I didn't look backward too much because I started playing music for my fraternity and fraternity parties in college which was the mid 90s and they didn't want to listen to the yeah. old school yeah nwa probably simply because uh most of those artists struck off in their own uh had their own prolific careers so as far as impact across the industry i'd go with nwa but they uh, the beastie boys were so unique they were um i you know i hesitate to call them the original boy band but um they, they were, it was just 
Nobody had ever seen that That's before. That's boy band for sure, but they were. And it was well, hard. And Martin had, those guitars Martin had heard of rapping guitars. Yeah, you know, that's you look exactly at it. You take Ice T, and Ice T will tell you, I never would have come up with Cop Killer or anything that made him right. famous if it wasn't for Beasties. Yeah, you know that's just the way it was. Uh, I remember my first rap album that I ever bought was Too Short. I don't know if you ever remember Too Short or not, but yeah, Too Short was my first on, rap man. album. Uh, and then obviously around we had NWA floating around when we were in middle school and all that. We couldn't buy it, but everyone's older brother had you know straight out of Compton or you had. Uh, but BC Boys, I mean, I think that I probably, I would say NWA, I think they're the most influential. I think they changed the rap game. Um, but probably my favorite is Beasties for sure. Uh, Clover, which one do you which one do you like of those, or do you have another one you want to bring up? Um, the Run DMC. Yeah. Yeah, Run DMC was a good one. So with 516 votes, NWA is leading the way with 44%. Beastie Boys with 25%. DMC with 18 Public Enemy with 9 And uh, a lot of them uh, were 4% with the other. Uh, you had a lot of different ones. Uh, Grandmaster Flash, you had, um, they were talking, I mean, the start, they started, uh, but you, you had people talking about, um, all sorts of people that were good, but uh, Blondie. Can we throw Blondie well, in there? You know, technically, with Raptor, I think that yeah, I mean, she actually did actually rap a little bit. Uh, was it Raptor or Rapture, or whatever it was? But yeah, Rapture. yeah, it's fine as hell too, though. That helps. Um, I say that alone. Okay. Uh, the next question. All right. How do you eat Oreos? Plain with no milk, just a cookie. Dunk it in milk. Lick the frosting off first or the sacrilege. I don't like Oreos. Jake will go with you first. How do you eat Oreos? And if you say you don't like Oreos, then just go ahead and leave now. Just saying. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's tough because they only they almost only come out on a camping trip. And so I don't have milk okay. on a camping trip. So, true, um, true. But irrespective of that, I I open it. I peel off the frosting. I okay. put the cookie back together. I dip the cookie and I do it again, but I don't eat the frosting until the end until I have four or five of them stacked up. Oh, and then and I slip into a pancreatic coma. You have taken it to a whole new level, and I'll put it to you this way. You, my sir, had just been the Jedi Master of Oreos because I never <laughs> thought about when I, I used to lick the frosting up and I ate it immediately. I didn't ever think about taking it, putting it to the side, and stacking it up. That's genius. I also <laughs> peel a little the, bit OCD. I'm not real I, sure. I peel, the, I peel the top off my hostess cupcakes and set the chocolate so top aside. The same way. Yeah, in the same way. And then, and, then, and then I tear it and I lick the 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 the, the cream Absolutely. and it. And then I start dipping. Oh yeah, I, I'm weird when it comes to stuff like that. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, Mike, what about you and Oreos? Yeah, I went right for the frosting man, or your cream in the middle. You know. What yeah. I mean? Now here's right. a question: Did you eat the cookies later? Or did you just toss them to the side? No, I would eat the cookies after, but I always went. I always killed that middle first, and then when I got the double stuff, I remember like. Oh yeah, giving you more, you know. Yeah, I was I when I was a kid. Now now I, I just dunk them and I uh, eat them. But when I was a kid, I would take it off. I eat the frosting and I always put the cookies back. 
And most of the time, I forgot to eat the cookies. Like I'd have one or two of them, but then I'd have this my my you know my friends or my mom or dad or whatever open them up and they're like, "What the hell? What are these just cookies in here? All the frosting goes like, oh, that's my bad, you know. It's like don't put it back into the wrapper. And I was like, that's my bad, you know. But yeah, now I just dunk them. Clover, what about you? I'm weird. Oreos are gross. Ooh, get out. Over out. Get out. <laughs> Is he a communist? You son of a bitch. Yeah. You say if they're, not, if they're not top gun, if they're not lemon or birthday cake, I don't want them. Lemon is good. I mean, they're good, but I mean, okay. Now you've just shot this whole thing to hell. So thanks, Clover. Appreciate you. You asked. All right. I did ask. I shouldn't have. I know better not to ask you sometimes, but uh, all right. The last one, I always put kind of a gun. Those are funny, but there's some gun stuff. What is the best reason a gun is better than a spouse? The first one is a gun doesn't ask, does this new scope make me look fat? Answer two is you can buy a silencer for a gun. Answer three is you can trade an old 44 for a new 22. Uh, answer uh, we'll say D is your primary gun doesn't mind if you keep another for backup <laughs> and letter E is your gun will stay with you even if you run out of ammo so yeah uh, I don't know if you guys want to be on record and on live video answering this but so, hypothetically hypothetically if someone were to ask you this <laughs> so who in their right mind would trade a would trade a 44 for a 22 come that on was, man that was my question come too. on yeah, I I would say maybe Hugh Hefner in his hat in his I, I guess I guess maybe. we're talking I guess we're, we're talking age not measurements though I'm thinking measurements right well, uh, measurements, that's, hey, you know, some people like the athletic thin look. Just saying, you know, but uh, that's what it is. Well, 40, um, I mean, yeah. in, in that defense, I mean, 44s don't typically come with 110 round drum mags that you can slap this into. Is, them, this so. is true. This is true. E for me, yeah. by the way. What is it? E. Oh, yeah. That's your gun will stay the out of ammo. You know, <laughs> vasectomies and all. <laughs> well see i look at it and, and i get what you're saying but when i wrote this i didn't think of the ammo being like that i'm thinking ammo being money like a gun will stay with you if you run out of ammo a, a woman may not stay with you if you're out of money i'm just saying i'm, I'm not saying that it happens but hypothetically uh, there have didn't been 50, women known to do that didn't 50 cent look, talk about that in 21 questions Something like that. Luckily for my wife, she would marry me when I was making twelve thousand dollars a year in the Marine Corps. So it is what it is. Yeah, but <laughs> that was like nineteen sixty-three money. money. Yeah, yeah. She she knew me when I had zero money, um, and all that. Back but in, no, it was back just back in sixty-three. Back in sixty-three, uh, there's a song about that, I believe. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, huh? Is it summer sixty-nine? No, it was, uh, I want to say it was Jackson Brown. That was yeah, 17, 1963. Yes. No, you're running on empty. empty. I'm thinking there was something about 1960. I was 17 in 1963 or something. Then I'm running on empty. Maybe not been Jackson Brown. I don't know. Like I said, what a night you're thinking about. What a night. Oh, yeah. That was the, yeah. What a night. That's the, the four seasons. That was a pretty good one. 
All right. Anyways, what the hell? Late we can go down that rabbit hole. Back in '63. Yeah, I want to say there's a Jackson. Like running on empty was. I was 17 back in '63 or something like that. I don't remember. Anyways, anyway, whatever. Okay. Yeah, people, hey, we're we're in the. Maybe, we've lost maybe it's us, Mike. Maybe it's us. We we only bring the clunky things to other people's shows now. <laughs> Our podcast is either clunky in the beginning, clunky at the end, or both. There's always a and moment. Now we've ruined somebody else's show. You believe that? Well, see, I usually it's just sad. I usually have this segment early. Uh, like right on the right in the beginning because at that point like the whole show shot and I that's I did it at the end this time because I wanted to have the conversation we had tonight and then go with the shit shooting and all of that but uh, I figured if we did it tonight you know, it, it starts to show off at a really bad precedent <laughs> and I really wanted to talk what we talked about tonight so I did it I did it last but uh, we typically start with it because you know I might have two or three topics that I want to talk about and then once this starts. Two hours later, we haven't touched the first one because it's taken us down rabbit holes we never thought we're going to go down to. I'm trying to figure out how it's, old you were in the song that you heard <laughs> two hours in. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm not that. I'm, I'm a 46, so I'm not that much older than you are. But um, you're 42, 43. I think Clover's about that same age. I think Mike's, uh, Mike's a bit older than us. I'm 45. You're only 40. I'm the oldest one. Okay. First of all, I thought you were like 47. I thought you were like a year older than me. You're a year younger than me. Yeah. No, I'll be uh, in October. I'll be 46. Oh, fantastic. But I look a hard, I look a hard 49. And I think that's what threw you off. Well, I think, I think we all look hard. <laughs> we've all been through enough. Uh, you know, Jake know. Came in before the show, he goes, yeah, I brushed my hair because of my gray dude. <laughs> well, I mean, really? I didn't even know they made people yeah. that old. <laughs> Look at that! You look, like, you look like Doc Brown. I look, yeah, I mean, seriously, I I look like the Backstreet Boys in freaking like thirty years later. You know, like he used to be blonde, now he's gray. Hey, it is what it is. You know, uh, Backstreet's back. All right, all Don't right. Anyway, frost your tips. Well, they're already they're frosted naturally. <laughs> they are definitely frosted naturally. Good lord! Oh shit! All I right, say it's larger than life. <laughs> It is larger than life. It is. It is. God, stop. All right. Before we get going down some serious rabbit holes, I'll keep these guys on for a lot longer. We've got some time. Uh, Jake, I want to bring you in first and uh, tell people where they can find you. I want to, while you're doing that, I'm going to put in your, the Zephyr Wellness website out there. Tell people where they can find you, different projects that you're working on that people need to probably go and check out. And first of all, thanks for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. I love uh, sharing this stuff, and um, I'm always, you know, humbled that people listen. Um, seriously, it's uh, it's cool. So, um, I'm on Twitter at Jake Wisk, J A K E W I S K, and um, Instagram, but that's a kind of private account. You just see my family and stuff on there. Um, and then uh, ZephyrWellness.org. I already sent out that thing. I have a the podcast called Noggin Notes. We have the podcast Guns and Mental Health, and um, you know, I don't, I don't know what else you want to say. We're, we're working on a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, I just like what I do. I, I had an interesting, um, question asked me a couple of years ago on somebody else's podcast. This gal asked, uh, with all the stuff you do, what do you do for, for fun? And I was like, that's weird. Like I, well, here's how I answered. It totally caught me off guard. I was on my heels. I said, you know, 
it's all enjoyable because the only chore that I see is actually my paperwork. I hate doing log notes, but everything else, all the community endeavors, all the boards that I sit on, all the, you know, philanthropies and whatnot, I'd be doing it anyway. In podcasts, YouTube channel. Zephyr Wellness does have a YouTube channel, by the way. Um, there's one guy on it, it's me, but we got a YouTube channel. Um, and I, I'd be doing it anyway. I'm just blessed enough to have my salary generated by my employees, so I can do things like this. And I think that's my 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 drive is to not waste the opportunity to go make change and um, and help people. So uh, yeah, I, I invite everybody to kind of maybe look through life through that lens because it was something that caught me pretty square in the in the eyes and realized, man, I really enjoy all this stuff. None of it's a chore. I choose it all. So if you're if you find yourself doing stuff in your life that you don't choose, uh, maybe reevaluate it and you know replace it with something you do enjoy. And um, yeah, so thanks thanks for having me. Yeah, I think that there's something that probably a lot of people heard uh, some variation of it. You know, when you're growing up, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. And I totally. think that that's something that is absolutely true. I want to bring Clover in here. Clove, um, thanks for coming on, buddy. I know you've been feeling a little, little under the weather, but uh, appreciate you coming on. Do you have anything that you want to kind of talk about or any final questions that you want to bring up? No, man, I'm good. It's been a great conversation. Yes. Uh, what are some of the projects that you've been working on and where can people find you? Oh, people can't find me anywhere. I, I've been out of stock for months and months and months, brother. So um, I hate their luck. Sorry. You are missed you your opportunity. You're you a little sour right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Dropped a video today. Let's see what kind of love I get. I'll, I'll mention that. That's good enough. We'll see if they we'll see if they're smart enough to go find it. Clovertack.com. <laughs> if you want to find anything, it's pretty simple. Clovertack. Oh, come on. Just spoon feed it to him. Ghost loves y'all. Ghost loves y'all. Spoon feeds you everything. Take care of my homies. Hey, I got a lot of people out there that are like me. They're not the sharpest crayon in the box. You got to help them a little bit, but I love them. I love them. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on, brother. Mike, um, man, what an awesome journey the last few years have been for you. Hectic, stressful. Um, sometimes annoying, I'm sure, but, uh, you'll tell people where, what they can find you, any projects that you think, you know, coming up or stuff that you want to see happen. Um, let them know where they can find you and I'll be putting out the uh, website and all that while you're talking. Okay. Yeah. You can uh, find us, find me online. You can find the organization online, uh, at walk to talk us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm on there as Michael Sedini at Michael underscore Sedini. Um, I will be at the Solutionary Summit, the second annual Solutionary Summit that Maj Tori from Black Guns Matter. Um, they're having me back. I will be presenting. Um, so if anyone's in the Miami area this weekend, uh, stop into that. Definitely come say hi. And then besides that, we're just going to be doing Walk to Talk America things, man. Uh, we got a little college run coming up and uh, going to continue to do what we do. Most of the stuff we do is behind the scenes. And um, you know, keep fighting for the 2A and and getting rid of the damn stigma that comes with firearms and mental health. So, Absolutely. Well, thank you both for doing what you guys do. Um, I don't know if anyone will ever know all the stuff you guys are doing behind the scenes that you know, people won't know about, but um, 
I know some of the stuff y'all are working on, and and I appreciate you guys. But yeah, keep up the good work. We we're anything we can do to help out, support you. Anyone out there watching, more importantly, listening, we get a lot more listens and podcasts than we do in the video side. So if you're out there in the podcast world, check out zephyrwellness.org. It's Z E P H Y R W E L L N E S S dot org. Links will be in the description. And check out walkthetalkamerica.org. Um, even if you don't think that you have any issues, arm yourself with knowledge, arm yourself with knowledge that could help the next person that does need help be able to not just identify, but to help them. Uh, if you're out there and you need help, please, like I said before, call me, text me, email me. Um, you do have a lot of brothers and sisters out there that are willing to help and the world is a much better place with you in it. And that we will say, Good night. Thank you for watching live, everyone out there. Thank you for watching and replay. Uh, if you're watching replay or listening to podcast form, the conversation doesn't have to stop. Utilize that comment section. If you have any questions for Mike or Jake or Clover or myself, put them in there. We will make sure they get answered. Uh, talk to these people. There are real people that are actually able and willing to talk to you, have a conversation. So if you're out there and you need help, suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255 if you're a veteran press one we'll see you soon stay out there stay frosty stay strong stay alive semper fi